Welcome to the Yours in Marketing podcast. On this week's episode, I chat with the best and biggest YouTube strategist on the planet, Mr. Ohio himself, Tim Schmoyer. Tim has trained hundreds of people in the ways of effective YouTube strategy, and he's worked with brands like Disney, HBO, Budweiser, eBay, and Warner Brothers. Here's what you're going to get out of this episode. Why video may be the medium for you or your business. You also talk about how businesses can leverage video to create a human connection. He chats about the wiles and the wins of owning your own company, as well as getting comfortable with filming yourself, which is something a lot of us struggle with. And finally, how to balance family and work when you have seven kids. That's right, seven kids. (laughs) Just a reminder to please leave an honest review. Each and every week, I'm going to be shouting out some of our new reviewers by name on this very podcast. So if you want to be famous or you just want to help out the show, please leave a review and you'll have a chance to be mentioned by name by me right now on the podcast. Enough with that. Let's get straight into the interview. So first off, uh, we're here with Tim Schmoyer. And the first question that I have for you is about social media marketing world, because that was last week, right? One of the biggest conferences for social media. It's hosted by Social Media Examiner. Is that right? Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. So how was that experience? Take us through what you actually did there, what kind of people were there, what you learned, what you took away from it, basically. Conferences have changed a lot for me over the past few years. I remember about 10-ish years ago, there weren't really YouTube conferences and things yet, but it was all about going to the sessions and it was all about taking as many notes as you could. And I still do go to sessions and things like that that are of interest to me, but I spend most of my time just doing my best to shake hands and meet people and, and have conversations and hear what they're working on, invest as much as I can into their projects and to their goals, especially as it pertains to YouTube. And then I love just meeting people and be like, oh, like, wow, like, yes, I need to talk about this. Like, you're the perfect person. You can, right. And it's more about the connections and the, and the relationships for me now. But it's a great conference. Have you been there yourself before? No, and I'm just up the road. I know it's in San Diego. I'm in Orange County, so but okay. but now it could didn't didn't make it down. <laughs> yeah, the thing that's unique about social media marketing world is that well, for me, for the most of the conventions I'm at is that there's a lot of conventions that are very specific on a really small niche or something, but I like it that if you do anything with social media, this is like the one-stop event where you can get anything you want to know about YouTube, about Facebook, about Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, LinkedIn, like whatever. It's like all right there rather than having to go to like the LinkedIn conference and then the Instagram conference and the Facebook conference, right? You can just go there and, and get your feet wet with a little bit of everything. So it's a pretty big event. Thousands of people, most of them are business owners because it is a marketing convention after all. <laughs> Uh, some of them are small businesses that are just getting started and entrepreneurs all the way up to Amazon, Google, Fortune 50 companies that are present there as well. So you never really know who you're going to bump into exactly. Most of you, if you've ever been like on YouTube trying to actually create videos, you've probably heard of Tim because he's kind of famous for helping <laughs> people grow their YouTube channels. That's what he does. But if you're not familiar with him, he's got about a half a million subscribers on YouTube and he's helped other brands and other people grow their channels in the millions of subscribers, millions of views. So that's kind of what he does. But Tim, if you were to focus on another platform other than YouTube, what would be your focus right now? 
So the platform I actually use the most often is Twitter. <laughs> I always have Twitter open as like a panel. Um, I have like a couple monitors and it's the one all the way to the right. And I just have mobile. I have the mobile version of Twitter open because it's nice and clean and slick and I can have it in a small little window off the side. So that's like always there. And I like Twitter because it forces everyone to communicate like really succinctly. So email can get really long and winded and DMs can get be the same way. But if you just tell people, hey, tweet me, they're forced to, what is it now? 240 characters. So everyone's forced to be pretty t- to the point, succinct. And I feel like I can serve as many people pretty quickly by being able to use a platform that forces everyone to be kind of to the point, direct and succinct. And maybe that's just the guy part of me just wanting to like, do, 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 like get it done, crank it out. And I've, it's really quick and you can get in touch with people who normally might not be as accessible via email or other means. And so I, yeah, I like, I like Twitter a lot for not only interacting with more people who are in my community, but also reaching out for, to others. So it'd be the same in, for professionally as well. You would prefer Twitter. Well, if I was going to dive somewhere next professionally, I probably would be LinkedIn for me just because it's there. I use it. It's a thing, (laughs) but I wouldn't say I'm using it strategically for anything right now, but I know there's a lot of opportunity there. Definitely. So let's take a step back here for a second. A lot of people are going to know you as first and foremost, a family man, because you have seven kids, right? Yeah. Okay. So through all the years, all the responsibilities that you've had doing video creators, doing all these different things, how have you been able to juggle that? Because I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening that have families or they're just starting families and they have no idea how they're going to juggle being a leader, having a family, having kids. So how have you been able to juggle their responsibilities and relationships and still do your work? Not well at some points, you know, just to be totally honest. (laughs) So I started video creators about five years ago, but I've been doing YouTube consulting and strategy professionally since 2009. So 10 years now. And what I found is that having a family and trying to grow a business and trying to make sure I have time for my wife and all the things that are demanding my time is I actually needed a few things that have been helpful for me. One is rather than thinking about it in terms of balance, I just think about it in terms of priorities. I know some people don't really like that, but it's just kind of like, you know, what are the priorities and let's list them in order and anything that blow, falls below the red line just doesn't get done. And it's just, it is what it is, right? And so that's been pretty freeing to me to know like this, if it doesn't get done, yeah, it might we might lose some money or yeah, we might not be able to build that networking connection, or we might not be able to attend that event that would be really good or whatever, but there's just too many good things to do. You just can't do all of them. And so it forced me to to say like, is spending time with my family more important than building, spending time with that networking connection that could potentially be really lucrative. It's like, yeah, because now I'm like putting a price tag on my family. I'm saying the the family is more important, right? Uh, Now that's to say I can't, there's not times where the family is like, you know, that's just really busy right now because there are seasons of that. But I think it becomes really easy for the work to kind of take over and the family is always sacrificing. And what I, one of the things I believe is that my family is not here to serve my business. It's actually the other way around. Like my business is here to actually serve my family. And I have to remember that 
I know the temptation for guys like me is to like just keep growing the business to be bigger and better and like reach more people and more customers and grow the revenue and things. But I'm the sole, well, my wife and I are technically 50-50 owners of the business for tax purposes, but I am... I'm the only one who like owns and like operates the company and we're doing just fine personally. And so I want to continue to grow this thing and reach more people and help them change lives, but not at the expense of my, the lives of the people in my family suffering. Right. So number one is just having those priorities set. And then the second thing for me is just knowing why, like having a vision for both my business and for my family that actually converge in some way. I think it's really easy for us to live pretty compartmentalized lives where this is my entertainment life, this is my personal life, my career life, my business life, my educational life, for example. And, and we found that one, the more buckets we have, just the crazier and hectic life becomes. And so we actually try to live like this is going to sound a little bit weird, but you asked the question. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, like no integrate things better. And so my family is a part of my business. My kids are actually assets. We have seven kids in eight years, but rather than seeing them as liabilities the way most people do, I'm like, what if I, what if I actually turn them into assets? And so they get paid as child actors now on our family's blogging channel. Our business pays them to an IRA. So they get paid tax free. The one day take it out tax free. Right. And so they actually do contribute to our family's economy that way. And that was very intentional. Like, and, one, and YouTube is one of the places for us that allows us to really integrate like my wife and I working together on business stuff, my kids being able, like they shoot and edit their own stuff with iMovie now. <laughs> so they got their own little channel going. So yes, yeah, so, and we homeschool our kids is another way of like saying, I, I don't have enough time to do everything. So let's spend time with our kids while we educate them. So instead of sending them away to school, we can spend more time with them here at home and we can integrate education and time and family time together that way. Right. So there's a lot of examples I could give, but just knowing like this is the, our vision for our family and where we want our family to be in five, 10, 15, 20 years. And doing the same thing for our business, which I think most people are used to thinking of that same strategy and that same perspective in terms of their business or career. But we apply those same principles to both, if that makes sense. So for your kids, do you see it being like they, this is something that they would want to do as well in the future? Do, like, do you have any inkling of if this would be a career path that they'd want? It? Because never before has this been something that's actually viable, right? Where you could grow up thinking, I want to make a living on YouTube, but now you can do that. So do you think that that is a possibility for your kids or do you think that they are going to kind of be done with it once know. they... Yeah, it's a possibility. I'm not pressuring them, I don't think, one way or the other. They they don't watch TV really. Like they go and turn on our, they have a smart TV and they just, they open up the YouTube app right away and they just go and watch their favorite creators. And they're actually the ones that came to me saying, dad, I want to make videos. Can, can I make a video? So we're like, sure. So we got them a indestructible GoPro and, and they edit, they shoot their own videos. They edit them themselves. Uh, I taught them how to use iMovie, but they edit, they pick their own thumbnails, they upload them, they write their own titles and descriptions and tags. Uh, my wife or I have to approve the video before it's published just to make sure there's nothing sensitive or inappropriate or something like that. But after we approve it, then they, they publish it. And I told them that once you start making money on it, you guys can keep the money and put into a savings account or something. They, they still have a little bit of ways to go before they get there, but they're approaching it much faster than I thought they were going to be <laughs> going to get there. <laughs> so 
they are learning the skills, if they want to use those professionally, that's up to them one day, really. But when you're giving them advice, is it the same advice that you'd give to a client? No, not really. I mean, my oldest is nine. My youngest is one. So <laughs> right now, in the beginning, and this is this actually is true for people who are starting getting started on YouTube. I'm just like, just learn the skill of creating content. Just learn how to shoot, use the camera. Just learn how to use iMovie. Just learn how to upload this and just get into a habit of being able to create value for people. And and rather than jumping straight to the, the strategy part, like where most people jump straight to the growth part without having developed the skills they need to actually grow, <laughs> right? So like, I want my kids to like, just learn the the skills you need, first of all, and do it a lot, do it often, publish a bunch of videos, make a lot of mistakes. And then when it's time to actually start growing this thing, then we can start focusing on strategy. So right now, I don't really give them too much input. Well, you mentioned that like the first skill you'd want them or anybody else to learn is just how to create content. So how did that come about for you? When did that click for you when you started? Why did it become interesting to you? Yeah, let me rephrase that a little bit. Uh, so what I want them to actually learn how to do is how to solve problems. And I think that's what any good business is actually based on is solving a problem for someone and then selling them a solution. And I think with video, there's a lot of problems they need to figure out. One, how do I use the camera? How do I turn it on? For them, it was how do I get the footage off of the camera once I've recorded it and onto the computer? And there's just a lot of problem solving that you had to think in logical sequential steps in order to do and to in order to create a, create a video. I was homeschooled my whole life as well growing up K through 12. And one of the skills I think I got from that is that I learned how to not just memorize information, but I learned how to be self-taught and figure out solutions to problems that, that I wanted to solve, such as YouTube back in the early days. I ultimately want my kids to think entrepreneurially, and if that applies to video or not, then that's fine. My first creative endeavor actually started well, it depends on how far back you want to go. I mean, when we're kids, we're all building forts in the woods and, you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, stuff like that. But what kind of started the trajectory that led to where I am today is when I was younger, um, shortly after I was born, I developed a tumor in my left ear and I had to have a bunch of surgeries. And ultimately, that led to me not being able to move as much because my equilibrium was all thrown off because that's all in your ears. So I spent a lot of time on the couch. I, I remember when I got closer to teenage years, my dad had gotten a computer. It was a, a Pentium 386. And I heard about this thing called AOL, which we never got. Looking back is probably a good choice. But, uh, but then we ended up with like a local internet company. My dad didn't know what we were doing, what we were signing up for. Why am I paying for this? But I, I found Netscape Navigator and it had a little thing in there called Composer. You remember all this from back in the day? Yes, briefly. Yeah, um, I think I might be a little bit older than you, but uh, yeah, so there's a thing called Netscape Composer and that let, um, it was like a, a tool that let you build HTML pages. And so our, our internet provider provided like 20 meg of free website space, which is like more than you could ever possibly use at the time, right? 20 meg, that was huge. And, and so I just started making these little web pages about like 
random stuff and putting them up there. And that led to me starting to figure out how, how to build websites and how those worked back then. And then I, when I was in graduate school, I was bored one night, started a little website called timschmoyer.com and put up WordPress version 1.5 on it, I remember. And this is pre-Facebook days. I just kind of wanted to use it the same way most people use Facebook today. Like my family is halfway across the country. So I just post updates on what I was doing, what I was eating for dinner the night before and how it made me feel, you know, same way we use Facebook <laughs> today. So basically you invented Facebook. Basically I missed out on a couple billion. Yeah, no biggie. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to do that. So I just, it was all public on a WordPress blog. And so that blog ended up turning into, I was a youth worker at the time, working with teenagers and their families. And it ended up kind of accidentally turning into the most widely read blog on the internet in the youth and family space. And I made, started making a living off of that. And it provided for my, my family and I for a few years, ended up a few book deals and speaking on all those stages and working with a lot of, a lot of people in the youth and family space, which was really fun and exciting. But coinciding with around that time is when I started dating, before I got married, I was dating this girl and wanted a way to introduce her to my family. And so YouTube had just started a few months before in 2005. And so my first video is March 2nd, 2006. I just wanted to know, could I get the, the video footage off of my camera and onto the computer? Like that was step one. Like, could I just do that? And it was like one of those old school cameras that use ribbon. Remember like magnetic tape? It was an eight millimeter camera. Yep. And it, half the time it would eat the tape and I'd lose everything, but I managed to get it off and I'm like, you know what? This, this wasn't so bad. So I got it up there March 2nd, 2006 was my first video. And then I just started making little videos with my girlfriend who... Like now we would know them as vlogs, but back then that was just being awkward in public with a camera, you know? <laughs> and uh, we'd make little videos going out to eat, going out to the restaurant, going out to movies, going out to the park or whatever. And we post them on YouTube and I would put them on my blog for my family and friends to see back home. And that's when I started kind of getting into YouTube because at first I thought I was just publishing these videos just for my friends and family, but then other people started watching and other people started coming to my videos and started commenting. And I'm like, who is cat liquor 69? <laughs> Should I be concerned <laughs> that they keep commenting on my videos? I'm like, where are these people coming from? And in those days, it was like during MySpace days, MySpace was really big and people were really nervous. Like you didn't use your real name on the internet if you did. And people found out who you were for some reason, there's lots of media attention on people being hunted down and killed and tracked because some stalker found them online. So I was a little bit nervous and wanted to figure out like, how are they finding my videos? Why are they watching? Where do they come from? What keeps them coming back? And I started asking other people. They're like, we don't know, Tim. So YouTube thing's really new. But if you figure it out, let us know. And we'd love to learn this with you. So I said, okay. Started working on it. And soon thereafter, started doing a lot of YouTube education videos about teaching people how what I was learning about how YouTube was working. And people are like, hey, check out this guy, Tim. He's figuring it out, really helpful. And pretty early on, I started doing YouTube strategy for Disney, Warner Brothers, eBay, Budweiser, Century 21, like a lot of Fortune 50 companies, all the way down to like first, like new creators who were just starting out. And eventually, make a long story short, is I ended up 
marrying that girl. We had seven kids in eight years. We live in Cincinnati, Ohio now. And I started a company called Video Creators that now um, our clients that we've worked with, uh, we've helped them organically earn over 14 billion views and 61 million subscribers so far and counting. So <laughs> that is a lot Not of life changing impact happening around the world. So I love it. Now that's awesome. You, you mentioned like Disney, HBO, Budweiser, huge companies you've worked with. So what's the difference in advising companies like that or working with them versus helping a new creator? Like how is the, the approach different? What were your key takeaways from working with brands like that? Key takeaways is that they move really slow, like annoyingly, frustratingly slow. <laughs> There's a lot of red tape, a lot of moving parts to kind of make some things that would normally be pretty simple changes, right? And ultimately, none of them really did too much of what we said, to be honest. Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned the names, but... Uh, <laughs> Whereas you work with the smaller creators or the smaller businesses and things are tend to be a little bit more nimble. They tend to be able to make changes pretty quickly. And if you charge them enough, they actually do what you tell them to do. And then, then they get the results that they want. So I learned a lot, but the advice itself, like the way you grow on YouTube isn't really that much different if you're a Fortune 50 company versus a beginning new channel. Like people are people, you're reaching people either way and people consume content and value and look for it regardless of whatever your background is. Well, when you were starting creating videos, your first video was at your girlfriend at the time wanting to introduce her to your family via video. Were you uncomfortable being on video at that point? Was there ever a point where you were like, this is kind of awkward to be on video? Absolutely. In fact, I even say that in the video. It's only 31 seconds long. And like half of it is like, wow, this feels really uncomfortable. And I said in the video, I'm like, like, this feels like I'm sitting down and just talking to a fire hydrant. Like I've never talked <laughs> to an inanimate object before. It's really weird. You know? Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think I've done like 4,000 some videos since then. So you, you kind of get used to it after a little while, but the, even the thought of like just hearing my own voice play back to me was like, that's not what I sound like. <laughs> and I had to get used to that too. It's really weird. Yeah. Well, if you were talking to somebody that was really uncomfortable being on camera, really uncomfortable coming on a podcast, what advice would you give them? Would it just be, just keep doing it? Uh, repetition is what's going to make it all better? Or is there anything else that you could offer there? Oh yeah. There's a lot of different things. I mean, one, yes, repetition for sure. Just doing it over and over and over again. And you get to the point you're like, eh, it wasn't perfect, but it's good enough. You know, <laughs> I'll publish it. It would cost me a lot more and take a lot more time to redo it. Like, and so you just kind of, you get comfortable over time, just like anything, you know, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. First time you were behind the wheel of a car, you were probably super nervous. And now if you've been driving for a few years, it's like, you don't even think about it. Like you don't even, you literally don't even think about it. You just get in and you're still thinking about something else. So I think that's part of it. For someone who really wants to overcome some anxiety of being on camera, I actually have a course on this, but I, I have a friend of mine who is an acting coach who works with theater actors who are transitioning to do television commercials and on-screen stuff. And sometimes they have a similar type of thing. And so he, he works with theater actors and helps them transition to being comfortable on camera. So taking some acting classes could probably help and learning how to present yourself and talk confidently and memorize lines if that's necessary for your content, things like that. Um, but acting classes could help as well. Well, for your videos, do you memorize things or do you just kind of speak off the cuff? I bullet point 
And so I kind of have a general outline of what I want to say. Otherwise, I just ramble in the voice and the videos. Like it's hard to deliver the value if it's just like, let me just sit down and talk for a little while. I mean, you can do that with podcasts and things, but it's a different expectation on YouTube where people are like, I clicked because I wanted to consume a, a particular value and you're not really delivering on that. I'm out of here. So I do bullet point and then I sit down and I look at each point and I kind of get in my head what I want to say and then I deliver it and I look at the next point, get in my head, deliver it. And I just kind of keep doing that back and forth until, uh, until the video is done. I would think that one of the key difficulties for leaders out there that are looking to create videos, whether it's for thought leadership or to actually profit their business or anything like that, it's just coming up with ideas on a consistent basis that are actually worthwhile kind of reference this, but putting out videos for the sake of having videos out there, not the most effective strategy. You really want to provide some kind of value. So what could you tell people that are saying to themselves, I'm not creative. I don't know how I'm going to put out good ideas, good videos on a consistent basis. I think it just applies to any other problem you're trying to solve in your business. You got to put a good system in place, a good method in place for it. Uh, if you're just like, hmm, what should I talk about today? Uh, I can't think of anything good, right? I think you need systems in place that generate ideas for you. One of the ways like I do that, for example, is I pay attention to what's happening in my space, not my space, but into the YouTube space. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and that platform's evolving so rapidly. There's always something new that's changing or being updated to talk about. So I have an RSS reader. I have every week there's over a thousand different blog posts and articles I could read. Uh, I usually just skim the titles and headlines, but there's always content fodder that comes out of there where it's like, oh, here's this big change and update. I could talk about this in my industry or here's this person who had this experience. I could add my two cents about that, right? And so just going through industry news and articles and updates generates a lot for me. Uh, I also generate ideas from consultations that we do, either whether it's like a one-on-one, -on -one, like for an hour session, or if it's the more ongoing clients that we work with, there's always situations that they're bumping into and facing and questions they have. And so uh, I can often like, oh yeah, that'd be a good question to turn into a video. And so I have a Trello board where I just keep screenshots and links and ideas and whatever about different content ideas that I could possibly do. And then when it's time to shoot, I sit down and I just look at that list and I'm like, oh yeah, I want to do that one. Or I have two more ideas about that one now. And just kind of about once a month, I sit down and just shoot a bunch. You were doing YouTube before Google purchased YouTube, right? right yeah, I was doing even before Google Video, actually. <laughs> what was that transition like? Was there anything that was massively different when they purchased YouTube? And then all of a sudden, like, was the algorithm any different? Were there any tweaks to the experience, the interface? Not at first. And if I remember correctly, when Google bought YouTube, it was, yeah, nothing really changed for a little while. The biggest hurdle, I think, is when they migrated all of the user accounts to be integrated with Google accounts. And so you had to link your YouTube account to your Google account. And that was a pretty painful process, if I remember correctly. But obviously, it's not an issue anymore. But at first, nothing really changed. I remember when the subscribe button became a thing. That was a huge change, you know, where you could now like subscribe and you go to one place and rather than having to use your browser's bookmarks to like bookmark all the channels you wanted to see and go back manually and check each one and see if they have a new video or not, like you could just hit subscribe and find all the videos in one spot. Like, oh my gosh, it was 
revolutionary. <laughs> How on earth was that not a part of the original yeah. <laughs> platform? Well, and that's the that's crazy to think It was of. a yellow button with brown text. Now it's red button with white text, but yeah. And then and back then it was above the video too, to the upper right. It wasn't below the video with the title like it is now. So the title and the button were above the video. Yeah, a lot's changed. And Google keeps testing and they're all about data. And the more data they have, the more changes they make, it looks like. Absolutely. Well, do you have any premonitions about what the future of YouTube is or the future of video in general? Yeah, actually just shot a video about that right before sitting down to record this. <laughs> There's a couple of trajectories that YouTube is kind of heading on. One of them has been a trajectory they've been on for a little while, but it's really starting to take off now, which is mobile. Like most people watch YouTube on a mobile device. And so when we craft our content, we have to make sure that we are really considering tiny screens and tinty speakers for our production. So if you're using text, you got to make sure it's a little bit bigger than you normally would make it. If uh, it looks fine on your 4K TV, the object that you're, that's on a really wide shot, that object might be too small to see on like a tiny iPhone screen, comparatively speaking. So you got to keep that uh, sound is really important, whether they're either listening to it on headphones. So it's like blaring right into their skull or it's through these tiny little tinty speakers. And so you got to really take a lot of different viewing environments into consideration. And mobile, especially in some of these developing company uh, countries where they don't have access to computers and things, but they have mobile devices and they can get to a Wi-Fi hotspot, download the videos, and then watch them later offline and then sync back up again later. Especially in Asia Pacific, there's like the kind of growth that our the Western societies and US and things were experiencing a few years ago online and social media is where is where Asia Pacific is now. So they're definitely growing very rapidly in the space of so keeping those audiences in mind is can be advantageous depending what your goals are on YouTube. So mobile is big. Those developing countries are also big. And then third, I'd say that uh, the tactics that used to grow channels a few years ago are not the same ones that are as effective today. The platform has been maturing a lot very rapidly. People's expectations for what they're watching have definitely shifted and changed over the years. And the search and discovery algorithm systems have gotten a lot better. So today and going forward, especially in the next few years, the channels that are really blowing up and exploding are not the ones that have figured out like perfect keyword research and metadata and got all their tags right and, and are making content on $20,000 cameras with a full production studio. It's, it's still not that it's people who have and creators who have figured out how to tell a meaningful story that really reaches people and impacts them in some way. Like those people who are integrating stories well into their content, whether it be educational content or entertainment based content, those are the types of videos that are more likely to hold someone's attention give Google that, that viewer signal that they really want, which is more watch time. And it gets that person to like, not just like the brand or the company, but actually like love the brand or the company as they tell better stories. And it gets the viewer to be more likely to return and watch more videos. It gets them to watch a longer viewing session of videos on that channel. And all of these are like viewer signals that Google really, really loves. And that's how they determine the value of a video and who they surface it to and how many people get surfaced to. So if you can really attract some of these human signals from your viewers by telling meaningful stories, that seems to be the skill that's separating the people who are just blowing up from the people who are just kind of like still doing the same tactics they, that worked a few years ago. 
that's really interesting because I got my start more in SEO. So that's kind of where I, where my background is. And looking from it, Google obviously is huge in SEO. It's like it's the main search engine you should be going for. Right. And when you're, when you're looking at what they're looking at for SEO now, for blogging or for whatever it may be, it's all toward user experience now. It's not nearly as much technical. I mean, it, it still has like not using tags in YouTube videos, not using titles. Obviously, that's going to be detrimental to YouTube, to SEO, to whatever. But that's no longer something you just manipulate. It's all about the user experience. It's all about the human element that you've mentioned. So it's like everything that Google touches now is pointing towards, is it helping answer a question? Is it useful? Does it help the user experience way more than the technical side of it? Yeah, and on YouTube, the technical side of stuff isn't actually that important anymore. I mean, so rather than crafting a title that has all your keywords in it, it's better to have a title that just says, do this. And then the thumbnail is maybe like an arrow pointing to something like, oh, right? People are going to click, right? <laughs> um, just the other day, my six-year-old daughter, actually the other week now at this point, she wanted to learn how to draw a cat. And so she's like, dad, can I watch a video on how to draw a cat? So I searched for how to draw a cat on YouTube. And one of the top results was actually a video for how to draw a husky puppy. And I'm like, what? Like then videos number like four, five, and six are all like how to draw a cat easy, you know, like the types of things you would expect. But the right. thumbnail of that video, like the husky actually looked like a cat. And to my six-year-old, she's like, ooh, I want to draw that cat. And I'm like, well, that's not a cat. Never mind. Sure. Go draw that. Right? <laughs> so, but because of the, the, the viewer, like Google had learned that if someone searches for how to draw a cat, this must be a relevant result because this is, gets a high click through rate on this video. And, and it's because of the thumbnail, not because they had all their keywords matched. Right. And it, it delivered the value that someone who was searching for how to draw a cat, it delivered the value that they wanted. And so Google learned that it was a relevant result, even though the metadata was actually about a dog, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, and, and same thing, like if you search YouTube for like music videos, you'll likely get results for billboard top 100 and things like that. Again, like no keyword matching, but you know, you, as you're familiar, it's user intent. Like Google knows what the intent of the user is. And so they surface content based on that. So I guess what, what you're saying, if there's a key takeaway from what you just said for B2B listeners is don't optimize your content around technical things as much anymore. Optimize it around what people are actually going to care about so that they'll click through. Because if, if you're creating videos on YouTube, especially if you can just be convincing and persuasive as to this is going to help answer your question right now, that's going to be way more valuable than just stuffing your keywords in there, getting all the perfect tags. Like that's going to have a way bigger impact. Yeah. The way the, what we say here at video creators is to optimize for people, not robots. Love it. <laughs> so do you think YouTube could at all go the way of IGTV. Instagram just launched IGTV and now it's all vertical video. Do you think that could ever be integrated as kind of a, a different kind of function for YouTube or do you think they'll stick with kind of what they have? It already is a part of YouTube. So if you upload a horizontal, um, a vertical video, a nine by 16 video to YouTube, uh, it will play in vertical mode. And if you're on your phone, it will take up the whole screen just like an Instagram story will. On desktop, though, will it still show as like a full widescreen and then it'll it'll be like the bars in the middle? It have black bars on, white, on desktop, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, I guess anyway, it's going all mobile anyway, so it, eventually it's not going to matter. We're not going to use desktops in 10 years probably. Maybe, no we, will. Maybe yeah. we will. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, I have, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Okay. I want to end on this, okay? As quickly as you could possibly answer these, I'm just going to fire them off, okay? 
So, rapid fire round. Question number one. Texting or phone call? What do you prefer? Text. Favorite day of the week and why? Friday evening because we shut down all of our computers and my wife, my family and I spend 24 hours just resting and having fun together every Saturday. We, Friday night to Saturday night. We protect that time. Favorite country you've ever visited? Ooh, Israel. I was just there. That was awesome. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite city in the United States besides Cincinnati, Ohio? Uh, Dallas, Texas. Ooh, okay. Well, let's follow up. Why Dallas, Texas? Uh, that's where my wife and I started our relationship and got married. It's my first job. And and I like uh, the cost of living is also pretty low, just like Cincinnati. So I love that. Yeah. And you can get everywhere you need to be relatively quickly. And I like the people. And the weather was too hot in the summer, but you know, it is what it is. Apple Music, Spotify, or YouTube Music? I'm actually still in Google Music. Like I tried YouTube music and I have it, but man, I just, I don't like it. So I'm, I'm waiting. I'm just on Google music play now. Last song you listened to? Probably some ABC twinkle, twinkle, little star type of something. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I have a young daughter and she's obsessed with Daniel Tiger. So that's all that's ever stuck in my head is songs from Daniel Tiger. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Oh, someone else asked me the other day. Uh, I originally said animals, but then I was thinking later I wanted to change my answer to speak every language in the world because connecting with people is always better than talking to animals. You know, I think, I don't know, actually. <laughs> I haven't talked. Well, what, what would make the better YouTube channel? Being able to go around the entire world speaking every single language or being able to speak to animals? If I wanted to get kids, probably talking <laughs> to animals and adults, probably <laughs> talking to adults. Yeah, I don't know. All right, fill in the blank. Gary Vaynerchuk is? I don't really follow him that closely. So uh, <laughs> more of a Marcus Limonis guy myself, but. He's great. Yeah. I've shot videos with him and he's, he's going to be in one of my upcoming videos and stuff too. So let's say very inspirational. How about that? Easy, a nice guy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah. Cool. All right. Would you rather have invisibility or super strength? Invisibility. Whenever I play RPGs, I'm always like, I always going to be like the backline guys who are like manipulating things, not necessarily like the super strong guys up front. Yeah, I think that a lot of people actually say invisibility to that one, which is kind of shocking. I think more people will want super strength, but invisibility is really useful. Maybe it's business owners who like systems <laughs> versus uh, <laughs> like be the hero, you know? Yeah, definitely. All right. I want to end on this. You mentioned that you use Twitter a lot. That's like other than YouTube, that would be your platform. Do you have any idea what your very first tweet was? Nope. Do you? <laughs> I do. I have it right here. Okay, well, technically, this is your second tweet because your first tweet was setting up your Twitter. Like, everybody sent out that oh, tweet. Yeah. I'm setting up my Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that was like the default one they had you send out like just to learn yeah. how to use it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you the next one. And then we'll follow up on it. So your your first real tweet was writing my Freebie Friday blog post for this week. That's right. That was what, what was Freebie Friday all about? That was that blog that turned into a full-time gig for me. Uh, every Friday I would give away, I would either create or get from someone else a free resource to make available for other youth workers to download. And so it was freebie Friday. And I did that like for a few years straight, every single Friday, I give away another free resource for youth workers. Very nice. Cool. Well, this is, this has been a great interview. Um, I've really enjoyed talking to you. I would love to give you a chance to 
shout out your company video creators and then pitch anything else that you've got going on right now. Uh, you can talk about anything that you want people to know about. If you're looking to learn more about how to grow your audience and reach people with YouTube, I have a weekly podcast myself every Tuesday. You can just search for video creators or Tim Schmoyer or like something like that. It'll show up and um, you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Google Play, like anywhere there's podcasts, you can find us there. And every week at youtube.com slash video creators, we publish a new video every Thursday just to help creators learn how to reach people, impact their lives and grow their audience and monetize and everything they need to know to really grow their YouTube audience, mostly from a strategy perspective is what we focus on there. So youtube.com slash video creators. Cool. All right. And we'll make sure to include all that in the show notes so you guys can click on the links right now. Tim, thank you so much for coming on. Tim is like a powerhouse on YouTube. So this is a super special opportunity for us to be able to talk with them. And it's been a pleasure. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to yours in marketing. I'm Blake Emmel. If you would please do us the favor of subscribing to the podcast, if you found value in this and tell your friends, tell other B2B leaders, tell people that need to hear about this. If you have a website, if you are in marketing or out of marketing, if you just want to learn how to build your website, how to build your business online, or if you just want to learn more about interesting people in general in the B2B space, please subscribe to this podcast you definitely will get your money's worth because it's free.